This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by ArtCloud. ArtCloud's comprehensive management to marketing tools help galleries compete in the digital age. With limited resources, galleries often struggle to maintain their online presence. But ArtCloud solves this problem and empowers galleries to build and maintain robust digital marketing routines. From email marketing to integrated websites, ArtCloud's all-in-one platform gives you the tools you need to grow your business. For example, when you input new inventory, ArtCloud makes it easy to send out beautiful new arrival emails to all the followers of that artist. A 2019 study showed that the average gallery that upgraded to ArtCloud increased their sales 30% within the first six months. Wow, 30% within the first six months. To learn more and receive a free demo, you can visit artcloud.com slash four galleries. That's A-R-T-C-L-D dot com slash F-O-R-G-A-L-L-E-R-I-E-S or email support at artcloud.com. That's at A-R-T-C-L-D dot com. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. We had a great time this past week in Miami for Art Basel Miami Beach. It was so great seeing some of the listeners there. Just a fantastic fair. Really is the best fair in the country in terms of the quality of art, in terms of all the events going on surrounding the fair, whether we're talking about the museums, the private museums, the restaurants, the parties. Really, it's a jam-packed schedule, a marathon, if you will, and it's just a great time. For any of our listeners who haven't been to Art Basel Miami before, I highly recommend you go next year. Not only is there so much incredible art on view, but you also have an opportunity to meet with so many galleries, so many other collectors, so many curators, artists. It's just a really fantastic networking event as well. A couple of my favorites at the fair this year included Kathleen Ryan's Larger Than Life Fruit Sculptures at Josh Lilly Gallery. They're supposed to replicate rotting fruit, but they're actually stunning. They're foam bases, and there's several beads and precious stones that turn these rotting fruits into something magnificent. I also love the Sterling Ruby spray painting in Xavier Huffkin's booth. It's a body of work that Sterling doesn't make any longer, so it's always nice to see them in the flesh. And this one in particular, the color was so vivid, it gave a glow to the entire booth. It was beautiful. And there was also a really magnificent Jordan Castile painting in Casey Kaplan's booth. It was a cropped image showing two figures sitting in a New York subway. It was a very moving piece. So those are a few of my favorites from the fair this year. In this week's episode, we're joined by Nate Freeman, senior art business reporter for Artnet News. Nate's kind enough to join us to help recap the fair. After a long week in Miami, we always appreciate having Nate on and sharing his insights. We had to start with Mauricio Catalan's banana. We had no choice. It got so much attention, not only in the art world, but around the world. We just had to talk about it, which we did at length. We also talked about the fair more broadly. What were people's reaction to the art on view? Was it good? Was there too much figurative art? Those are some things we discuss. Nate also identifies some of the other artists besides Mauricio Catalan who were big winners for the week. We also touch on the new Rebel family collection. That building is incredible. And it was really refreshing to see so many of the works that are in their collection. You know, often each year, it's just the new acquisitions that they highlight and they're building in this new space that was much larger. They showcase so many works from the collection. 
really interesting to see how they've collected a lot of artists in depth very early on in their careers, like Dana Schutz, Henry Taylor, Cecily Brown, even a lot, of, a whole Keith Haring room, some in Kusama Infinity rooms. Really a fantastic experience. So we hope you enjoy the episode with Nate. Thanks so much. after a long week to help us recap the fair. Nate, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me on, Adam. It's always a pleasure. So I think we don't have a choice but to start with the banana, the famous or infamous banana, um, Mauricio Catalan's banana at Perotin Gallery. You know, uh, it's funny. The morning before the fair, I was having breakfast with a collector and with someone from Perotin, and the collector said, that they thought they saw an email from the gallery featuring an artwork of a banana taped to a wall. And they said, first, is that, is that actually what I saw? And second, and they said, yes. And they said, second, what happens when the banana goes bad? And the gallery said, well, you have to replace the banana when the, and it goes bad. And, you know, on my end, I just thought, okay, this is kind of one of these ridiculous, it's kind of ridiculous, but uh-huh. I didn't really think much of it. And then the next day I see the work in person and I think it's kind of silly and I take a picture of it uh-huh. and I, post it on Instagram and I write, you know, hashtag art, just kind of acknowledging how most people would say this really <laughs> isn't art. And I was just kind of teasing them. But then it kind of took on its life of its own. And maybe this is why Mauricio Catalan is a genius. Then the entire world started talking about it, the absurdity of this and how it sold for $120,000. And, you know, of course, then we had that performance artist come in over the weekend, and eat the banana. And, you know, before we know it, it's kind of everywhere. And, I don't know. I think this might be the fair we all remember as the banana fair and everyone has kind of their memory on the peripheral of, you know, how they experienced the banana. I don't know. What what was your what were your experiences with the banana and people's reactions to this whole ordeal throughout the week? Yeah, have no doubt, Adam. This was the banana bustle. That is all (laughs) people were talking about. And it kind of threatened to overshadow the fair itself. But just like you, I heard about it ahead of time and I didn't really think that it would cause that much of a sensation. I actually got an email from the gallery on Thanksgiving morning uh, at 11 a.m. So almost two weeks ago announcing that they had the first work by Maurizio Catalan made for an art fair in 15 years. I thought that was significant. And then I looked at the work and I thought to myself, that's a pretty good Catalan work, you know, banana on the wall. I like it, you know. Um, it's in line with everything he's done over the, his entire career. It's, you know, funny. It's, uh, you know, a little needling, like, in a metal way. Uh, and it's sort of referencing the art market in its own surrealist style. Uh, I did not anticipate it would become a global story, like, splashed across the CNN homepage. But that is, as you said, Catalan's genius. He understands both the art world and the world at large in, in ways that I didn't anticipate. Um, you know, and you know, it's been discussed in the aftermath that he wasn't the first person to, you know, take decomposing fruits or vegetables and, you know, sort of have it stand in for art, you know, have people question whether or not that's art or as Fisher did it, uh, you know, 
almost two decades ago. Uh, Darren Bader has work where it's just, you know, fruit on plinths. But somehow the combination of the Miami frenzy and just this banana on a wall, something really stuck. And, you know, it's the media frenzy surrounding it is part of the work itself. And that's what makes it a really great work. And I just didn't realize that when it was first announced. You know, after, I think this was on Monday, I was talking to one of my childhood friends, who, and they asked me about it. They're not in the art world at all. And they said, why did this photograph of a banana duct taped to a wall sell for so much? They didn't even re- they thought it wow. was a photograph, that's, which would make that's sense, amazing. right? If you didn't know anything, that would make sense. Sure. A photograph should sell, not, you know, the, the concept of a banana on a wall. How is that, how could that? even sell for anything, right? So it's just incredible mm-hmm. how it reached everyone. And then I, I thought, well, that actually makes sense. It, probably, it makes more sense to most people that a photograph would sell for that, not the actual banana. Just kind of tells you how right. far how far reaching this uh, whole thing was. Yeah, and, and people are still talking about it now. And I, I think that it will go on to be one of the biggest art stories of the year somehow. And uh, yeah, it's just a testament to Katalan's sort of mischievous understanding of, you know, what the public wants to talk about. So moving on from the banana to just the fair in general, I, you know, I hear a lot of whispers at the fair. I heard some, you know, some people say it was a really good fair. Others, some people said, you know, some big collectors weren't there this year. I heard on a few occasions, people complaining too much figurative art. What were you hearing about this year's fair overall? Well, I think going into it, there's always going to be, some people who think that maybe, you know, this will be the year that Miami won't have the crowds, it won't have the big collectors, it won't have the sales, but the reality is, this is the biggest art fair in not just America, but the Americas, North and South America. And this year, that continued to be the case. Uh, Across the board, sales were strong, uh, you know, mostly in the sort of, you know, high six figures to Two million dollar range, nothing really above that, or just a few works. Um, and you know, the dealers that brought things that people want to buy now, fresh to market, works by you know in demand American artists mostly. They did very very well. Uh, it's interesting that you ask about the uh, dominance of, of figurative work, and I think that's something that we've seen over the past year or so. Um, it's gotten to the point where. Yeah, you almost do need to be a figurative painter in order to break into the sort of vogue that we're experiencing right now. Um, one of the most talked about artists at the fair, or in Miami in general, was Amalako Boafo, who is this Canadian artist who paints these really just striking portraits of his friends and fellow artists. And, uh, it, it, it's exactly what people seem to want now. Um, and, uh, you know, Marion Ibrahim, the Chicago dealer, she sold out of her booth, of the work. And it was on display at the Rubel's Museum um, as well. Um, and I think that that will continue to be the case uh, going forward, at least for another season or two. People just really are just drawn to figurative work in a way that demand where the dealers bring that work. And I guess on that front, who who are some of the other artists who you feel like were most talked about besides uh, Boafu and Catalan at the fair this year? Um, I, I think it was pretty striking to see a new, uh, quite remarkable 
run by Nicholas Party at the Hauser and Worth booth. He's just 39 years old and one of the more recent additions to that Mega Galleries roster. Um, a very exciting artist, but one who was selling work for, you know, the sort of mid five figures just about a year, year and a half ago. Now his work is selling for $385,000 at Hauser and Worth going to an institution. Uh, and that's just, you know, a pretty stunning rise so quickly. And you, you know, you get the sense of how things can shift so rapidly for younger artists who are moving to uh, large international mega galleries. And then, you know, on a somewhat, you know, uh, more normal scale, you'll have someone like Derek Forger having his sort of coming out with Petzl Gallery, you know. Uh, he's been showing with places like Night Gallery uh, in Los Angeles. And when Night Gallery brought a booth of his to Freeze, um, I guess, uh, last year, they were very much in demand. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to see how uh, established Chelsea Gallery sort of takes on artists like Derek and, um, you know, brings them into their, their fair booth landscape and also into their roster. Um, and then, you know, you have, uh, you know, some recent auction darlings who have worked in the fair, such as Julie Curtis, who had a work at the Itzhan Kern booth that sold very quickly, uh, you know, it's pre-sold to a collector. The waiting list for those works is, are just such that, you know, you can't really just go up to a booth and get one because primary they're selling for under $50,000 when at auction they're going for almost 500000 um, so, I mean, those are a few of the artists that people were talking about um, across the fair and also just in Miami in general. And I think another big event, the opening of the Rebel family collection in their new space. You know, in the past, they would often show very minimal amounts of their permanent collection, and they would really be, you know, a lot of the space was dedicated to showcasing new artists that were recently acquired for the collection. And with this new space, they've been able, this starting this year, they've been able to show a lot of the artists that they've collected even decades ago. Um, and I thought it was really interesting how they collect artists in depth and really early in their artist careers. What did you think of the collection and what, what, were, what were people's responses to the new space and just showcasing their collection? Uh, I think that the opening of the Real Museum was a highlight of the fair in a way that I hadn't seen in Miami ever, ever before. Right now, it has one of the country's best private museums. And, you know, it's been remarkable to see how the institutions in Miami have just, you know, bustled up just over the past decade. And now there truly is a world-class institution there. And uh, I got a real double whammy of the Rebels because I actually went to this Dior fashion show held in a warehouse that the Rebels own directly adjacent to the museum. So after about an hour of you know, Kardashians, you know, getting onto the front row and then like this, you know, long display of the Dior men's 2020 collection. Finally, after hours of spectacle, then I saw uh, what was on the Rebels collection and it was just a real gut punch to see the masterpieces of the collection all spread out in this gorgeous Annabelle Seldorf design space. It seemed to go on and on and on. It was a really, you know, a remarkable experience just to be, it was really overwhelming, honestly. Um, and yes, it was also great to see a lot of the younger artists that, you know, they helped develop early in their careers by offering them residency, like Sterling Ruby, Oscar Morello, and now Amarco Boafa. So 
uh, that was really a highlight of Miami, and really it's the highlight of the year. I think the Rebel Museum is truly a spectacular place. It's really exciting to have that, you know, beautiful institution in Miami, not just every time we go down to Basel, but year-round. And I know you touched on that uh, evening at the Dior and going to the Rebels in your new article you have on Artnet, um, which... If our listeners don't already, they should definitely check out all of your articles on Artnet. Um, you cover the market, you cover some gossip, um, you cover a variety of different things. It's a really entertaining read. If they, if our listeners haven't checked uh, out the articles yet that you had during Miami, what were a few of the things that uh, you touched on that were going on during the fair? Well, I I did write you know a sort of market roundup of everything that was selling at the fair because you know it's a very uh, prominent. You know, time in the American market when everyone goes down to Miami and uh, you know, just sort of sets the tone for the coming year uh, by choosing what to buy. And uh, so I focus on that during the day. And I also, as you said, I have my gossip columns, Wet Paint, which runs every Thursday on Artnet News. Fantastic read. So, I love it. <laughs> I'm glad you're reading it. <laughs> you're welcome. And uh, <laughs> I, I have a lot of fun with it. And it was especially fun to write about everything that was going on in Miami that week, because if you've ever been down there, as you know, uh, it is just an overwhelming number of events, parties, talks, uh, lunches, dinners, cocktail parties, beach parties, you know, big, crazy dance parties. You, you, I mean, you have no idea. There's, you know, collaborations with every major fashion line, startups. I mean, how many times can you go to a Gucci Snapchat party is a premiere for a Harmony Corinne film, and there's also a performance by Iggy Pop. There's nowhere else you can see that, <laughs> but, but in Miami. So that's why the gossip column was really a treat to write down there because I got to take in everything and then you know write about it the next day. Um, I just think the people need to know about what you know Lenny Kravitz is doing down in Miami. It's, it's really essential. Um, but yeah, it's it's it, it was. Really, really fun, and I, I got a few other, you know, fun little tidbits down there as well. Just you know, what people are, are buying, and you know, how things are shaking up for the year to come. Well, Nate, we always appreciate having you on the podcast, uh, and we appreciate, especially after a really long week in Miami, for you to come on and help us recap some of the major events, some of the major artworks that were available on view. Um, and uh, yeah, for our listeners, definitely check out Nate's articles on Artnet. And you're also on social media, often talking about uh, the art market and art world. Where can they follow you there? You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at nfreeman1234. Easy per- to remember. Easy. Perfect. Nate, thanks so much again. We always appreciate it. Thanks so much to ArtCloud for sponsoring this week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast. ArtCloud's comprehensive management to marketing tools help galleries compete in the digital age. With limited resources, galleries often struggle to maintain their online presence, but ArtCloud solves this problem and actually empowers galleries to build and maintain robust digital marketing routines. Whether we're talking about email marketing or integrated websites, ArtCloud's all-in-one platform gives you the tools you need to grow your business. Here's an example. When you input new inventory, ArtCloud actually makes it easy to send out a beautiful new arrival email to all of the followers of that artist. A 2019 study showed that the average gallery that upgraded to ArtCloud increased sales 30% within half a year. That's right. They increased sales 30% within the first six months. 
To learn more and receive a free demo, you can visit artcloud.com slash four galleries. That's A-R-T-C-L-D dot com slash F-O-R-G-A-L-L-E-R-I-E-S. Or you can email support at artcloud.com. That's support at A-R-T-C-L-D dot com.